Good day, my EOS podcast friends. This is the EOS podcast, the first podcast in EOS history brought to you by EOS Writer. Also brought to you this wonderful sound brought to you by our sound engineer, Scott from Hybrid.Games. Not only is he a sound engineer, but he's engineering an epic new game on EOS that is really interesting. Check out Hybrid.Games and get on the early beta for that because it's going to be fun. Today is one of the most interesting podcasts that I've had the pleasure of doing. Uh, we talk about D-Mail Mortys. We go deep down the rabbit hole on money, the philosophy of blockchain, where this world is going. Just this was fun. I hope you have fun listening to it. Without further ado, the man himself, the uh, inventor of D-Mail and Mortys, Kurt Braggett. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain. The EOS Podcast. The first podcast in EOS history. You stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Good to see you today, Kurt, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, dude. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. Great to have you. Um, So what do you think the most interesting thing going on in EOS right now is? I mean, I would say long term, I'm actually pretty excited about voice. Um, I think there's a, a lot of different reasons why, like just general market, like I'm very curious to see how well they execute. And I mean, I want to use it. I want to use a product like that. So I would say voice is probably one of the most exciting things. And I know that it's kind of like old news a little bit at, for now, but it hasn't launched yet. And I think that it's going to kind of prove a lot of things that are, you know, people are curious about. And I think it'll be fun to use. Absolutely. It feels like it also feels like there's a lot hinging on voice now that, you know, for me personally, like I have this like emotion now connected to voice. Like I really want this thing to launch and see what happens. And like, I, I it's like an indicator of how viable this whole EOS thing is for me. Um, yeah. Obviously I'm a big fan of EOS, but for some reason, like I have this emotional connection to voice where like if voice kind of sputters and fails and becomes steaming, it's like, uh, you know, that might not be logical, but I have like this, this tide of voice. Like I want to see, this is like a big experiment for me. So I, I can't wait to see what happens and how it goes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like I, I think that for me, I use Facebook a lot and I was really surprised because before I was an engineer and, and now I do a little bit more like biz dev and kind of a little bit more social stuff than I have in the past. And Facebook has been really amazing for connecting with crypto people and, you know, sharing thoughts and getting good discussions and learning new things. Um, And so I'm hoping that voice will kind of be that too. And I'm hoping to kind of parlay what I've learned from posting on Facebook and stuff onto voice. Um, So I'd I'd much rather do it on a crypto social network than Facebook. I'm not like a big hater on Facebook or anything like that. I'll probably still do that. Um, but for me, voice will be really important for like, I think what I'm going to do is put Dmail on voice and I'll also have like a personal voice account and then whatever other accounts and I'll just try it out. Like I'll probably try to do the same thing that I do on Facebook and see how that works there and just kind of compare. Yeah. You know, I kind of missed the, the boat on crypto Facebook because I had gone away from Facebook. And when I came into crypto in like 2015, I was like kind of had been done using Facebook and never got back in. But I feel like a lot of people use it, like have big crypto communities on there. Um, 
what, what do you use it for? Like what, what's the best thing about Facebook and, and the crypto conversation going on there? Yeah, normally what, what I do, and it's just maybe even general and not super specific to crypto, but I'll post about ideas or tools or things that, you know, I think the crypto ecosystem, like I've been trying to think about how to formulate this thought on like DAP explorers without pissing a lot of people off, but, but also just trying to learn. Um, because I, I see this model of DAP explorers uh, is kind of restrictive for the just the crypto in general, not just EOS, but anywhere, right? And I'll, I'll explain a little bit more because I think some people get a little bit confused by that. But like right now, for example, I want to start a discussion about this and have a really constructive discussion and learn like what people believe and how DAP Explorer should be, how the user experience should be. And so that's something I'll post about. I'll try to post something that uh, like makes people feel comfortable to get involved in the discussion. Try not to be too inflammatory or anything like that. Um, just try to get people's ideas because I learn a lot from it. Like someone will come in and be like, well, this is why DAP explorers are going to be a thing for the next few years <laughs> or whatever, right? So it's mostly just about getting feedback and, you know, I might pilot an idea there. Like, for example, Morty's token was something that I just kind of piloted as an idea on Facebook just to see what people would think about it, you know, because not all ideas are really created equally. Like I'll kind of split test ideas. I'll put out five ideas and I might think they're all good, but then after I put those ideas out there and get a bunch of feedback, it'll be really clear which one is more valuable to other people. Cause that's why we build the shit that we do really. I mean, it's, it's really not about me as, I mean, it's about me and having fun. I want to have fun, but I want to build the idea that's more valuable to, people out there in the ecosystem. Yeah, for sure. So as far as inflammatory goes, you mean like you try to make it chain agnostic, like you want to talk about general crypto or inflammatory crypto versus like the system? Like what do you mean? Yeah, by like some people I, I notice they'll they'll post stuff that's like really opinionated. Um, okay. I was reading this guy's post on Bitcoin uh, recently on Facebook and they get a lot of discussion based on it but i think it's kind of toxic because someone will start the discussion with bitcoin has zero value or something like that right <laughs> yeah, yeah and and it's like okay well that's gonna piss everybody off and it's probably not true and so for me i try to take the approach um because I, I used to post like that when i was younger you know just post something just to piss a bunch of people off but it kind of starts <laughs> the discussion um yeah. but but now it's more like i genuinely want to learn and so i'll post something that you know, might talk about that topic, but just makes people feel welcome to come in and discuss. Um, so, yeah. Um, but inflammatory, just like people will post up to piss people off just to bring some traffic. Mm -hmm. And so I try to avoid that. Um, yeah. So you're, you're kind of part of the intellectual dark web. You're out there kind of like putting interesting ideas out and trying to, you know, free, think freely about them without a bunch. Of yeah. That sounds pretty sexy, actually. Intellectual <laughs> dark web. Yeah. 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 I, that's the way I, I kind of like to think about it because for me, I guess at a, at a high level, um, it is about these kind of digital experiences and how this world is emerging and, and evolving. And so um, I'm a big sci-fi kind of nerd now. I wasn't when I was younger, but as I got older, I got really into it. And so for me, it is, it's like a neuromancer is like my life and like cyberpunk experiences are really my my life that's what makes me feel comfortable it makes me feel connected to the world and so 
yeah, it's very much an intellectual dark web for, for me. So that's yeah. cool. Uh, credit to uh, Joe Rogan and, and those guys who came up with that term. I don't want to, people are going to hear it and be like, he didn't make that up. But, uh, but yeah, it's a, it's a rad, it is a rad thought, this thought of um, like a, we, we kind of live in this, like you're saying, you don't want to, we live in this outrage culture online where, uh, you know, it's, it's because money is correlated to clicks and because the best way to get clicks is to say something inflammatory, the whole internet becomes this contest of who can say inflammatory stuff, get clicks and ad, you know, ad revenue comes out of that. So the incentives are really perverse when it comes yeah. to sharing ideas on the internet. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, these people that are out there, like you're saying, trying to start actual conversations and, and get deep intellectually, um, that, that's rad. But, but it's like you yeah. said, it's hard to do. I mean, you have to really frame those discussions uh, correctly from the beginning to kind of keep it going on a positive route. Yeah, for sure. And we, we don't want to generate stuff that's like clickbait, you know, I just think it's not sustainable. I mean, I just think, frankly, I mean, my, my personal opinion is that it's not sustainable, you know, I, and I think that it's also really important in, in social, just I've kind of learned by accident on social, because I wouldn't say that I'm naturally good at it. I would say, honestly, that I sucked at it for most of the time. Like I've used Twitter for over 10 years. And frankly, like, I just like sucked at it. Like nobody liked any of my tweets before. (laughs) And what, one of the biggest insights that I had, well, maybe maybe two that that sort of helped me to not suck as bad is um, somebody explained to me about how you need to have a, a consistent message, right? And so a lot of people will just talk shit about that and say, you know, it's bullshit. And who cares about what you're like, why do you have to do that? But I think it makes a lot of sense. Like if people know what to expect, um, then they know that they can come back to it. Like it's, if it's unpredictable, if one day I'm talking about, you know, VR and the next day I'm talking about my dog, like in the food that my dog eats or something, I don't have a dog by the way, but it's, if you, if you do, then it's like people will, will feel this kind of unpredictable feeling that I think that that scares people actually. And it makes people feel annoyed. And so, uh, when I started just thinking about like, what do I actually care about? Um, and this kind of ties into the whole voice thing, actually, it's like, what do I care about? What makes me, you know, even if I don't make any money off of posting this stuff, like, what do I feel happy to discuss? And what are my goals? And what's kind of a theme of like, maybe some top things that I really like to talk about. And for me, it's like, crypto and technology, like coding mostly and like sci-fi stuff. That's, and I focus on that. Like I have other interests, like I make music for example, and I don't really post a lot about that. I'm not going to post pictures of me singing or or something like that because, you know, I, frankly, I don't think anybody wants to come there and I, I think it would fuck up my message sort of, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, as far as voice and, and the curated message thing is true. Like, like the, that's this niche, the EOS podcast and like DPoS blockchain. Like even though I uh, post all about EOS and everything, like I'm really interested in all these other blockchains. Like I do a ton of, a ton of stuff in crypto outside of EOS, but it's like my channel is kind of about EOS. So it's like, you know, it sticks to that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, as far as the voice thing goes, um, 
it, I was explaining the tokenomics to someone and trying to explain to them, I was going through the tokenomics of voice and, and they made a point. They said, well, isn't that going to just kind of exacerbate the clickbait thing? Like, or isn't it going to cause people to just say outrageous stuff because you're basically getting paid on the, um, you know, the amount of, of activity, the amount of views speak and then the advertising slots so people would just come out and say something really controversial start a long like outrageous conversation of people attacking each other uh, are still going to have that um they're still still gonna be tied to marketing dollars uh, yeah i i think it, it it definitely is going to be a problem i would say with a very high probability it's just it's really just a matter of not if it's it, I think it's going to happen. It, it has to be something architected into that. It's really about game dynamics and the economies, right? And so um, I, I do have experience with this because I've been writing on Quora for over 10 years. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, um, you know, in these tech circles use Quora. And Quora actually used to have a, a it's essentially a cryptocurrency, it's a credit system, which mm -hmm. you'll notice now they don't have. And part of the reason why was because all of the administrators and mods and the people at that business built an economy like this already 10 years ago. It's basically you post something and then other people can come in and add value to it, which gives you more credits and you can use those credits to boost stuff. This, the whole concept of voice is not new in any way other than the part about crypto and how it's tied to a blockchain and probably some innovations on identity. But if you think about it from a high level, it's not new. It's, it, it, it was already done many times. Uh, Quora is probably the largest example. I think they did over 100 million in funding or something like that. And they have a crazy network that is still active today and a lot of SEO, they have Forbes articles. I mean, it's a, a very ambitious project from an ex-Facebook uh, founder, right? I think he was one of the either early employees or one of the founders, right? And so what they found in building an economic system that's not crypto but with credits is that it's corrosive and that it's it allows whales to come in and dominate. And once they've gotten up to a certain level on the pyramid, they can't be dethroned from it. And it's a kind of economy and it's a game dynamic. And so these things need to be thought of very deeply. Um, and what they found was, look, if you just remove that incentive, then everything works pretty nicely, you know? <laughs> and so that's not an option with voice. So they have to solve this problem. And frankly, I don't think that there is a solution to the problem. Like, I believe that there will be a solution to the problem, but I, I don't think anybody's ever really solved that problem of you have this economy that basically forces you, like if you want to game the system, to do whatever will generate the clicks. So it's kind of like ironic in a way that decentralization is supposed to like democratize how we're engaging with each other. But really what it does, it's gonna like hyper incentivize this kind of bad behavior. And so you you have to you have to be very careful about that. And I think that frankly, like I haven't heard anybody speak deeply on this topic very much. And I think that there there needs to be a very clever uh, solution. And so uh, one of them that I've kind of just thought up with other economies is um, moderators have to be empowered with certain things, but it's a kind of a centralized sort of play, you know? 
So do you think, uh, as far as moderators, you're talking maybe moderators for individual chats, moderators for groups of people, like, or overall moderators that kind of go around the voice platform? Yeah, like, see, this is what's hard about it, is that if you build into the economics that I can boost content, well, there should be an equal free market for boosting content, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and, and that's probably the way it's gonna work. It's like, if I boost my contact even, or, or content, even if it's Viagra or some bullshit, that will be there. So these companies can come in, scoop up coins. I mean, it's really kind of similar in a way to the token of, of Dmail and how mail works. Like there's, there's a problem where if somebody can get a hold of a lot of these tokens, they can gain a lot of power in a system and they can have really, um, they can become whales that are just concreted into the system. And so the way that this has been solved with some other economies is to allow moderators just to use their best judgment. It's like human intelligence to be like, this is bullshit. Let's get rid of these guys. You know, mm -hmm. like the, the system's being taken over by Viagra and everybody's talking about like boner pills now or something, right? Mm -hmm. It's like that could happen. It really could. It could be that, you know, there's a lot of content on this network that really makes it a corrosive environment. And that kind of happened with Quora too. Like people were, it wasn't really a racist thing, but like one thing happened with Quora is that all of these people in India uh, started adopting the platform faster than people in America were adopting it. And when you logged into Quora, you had this one group of people from India with what they cared about kind of taking over the system. And so it, it, it's really easy for these systems to not feel like they're running like democracies or that they're running in a, in a decentralized way because you have a disproportionate amount of content uh, that's leaning towards one way, right? Like if you go to Gab, it's like a bunch of like mostly like racist people and like, you know, American flags and like guns and, and shit like that. And like, I, I think a lot of people find those kind of environments not super you know friendly they're not they don't feel safe and so i i would be worried about that honestly yeah and one of the interesting kind of misconceptions i think about voices it's going to be like this free wild west social site where kind of stuff doesn't get taken down etc but uh they've made it pretty clear that it, it is a um you know, it is a centralized, there is a centralized authority overseeing voice. There's not someone overseeing, um, overseeing the EOSIO software, but voices is, is a company that has, you know, in the same way that someone like that, a company like Facebook, you know, has a team of people who are running it and making decisions kind of iterating quickly, uh, and moving on. So I think they're going to be pretty hands on it, I mean, what a, what a task though. I mean, yeah. Especially after seeing all of these uh, other social media platforms kind of fail at trying to give top-down moderation, like I wonder how they'd solve how they're going to solve that. And and it may be one of the interesting solves is that so you have you know say I have a, a website like the EOS Podcast website and I'm driving kind of traffic to that website and the conversations happening there and then I think that we should be able to plug a voice chat into other websites like I can plug it into my own website and then you know I would kind of be in charge of moderating the conversation within my you know within my chat so um, you know that might be an interesting way to do it is a is what if we what if you were to give the person who posted the article kind of moderator tools to uh, pick who they want to advertise like if 
if you've got boner pills on your site every day or in your chat every day, maybe you're like, I don't want them advertising anymore. You, you block them out. That might be a, uh, interesting ways. It also maybe delete comments maybe. And, uh, you're in charge of kind of moderating your own micro community. Um, yeah, I, I feel doubtful that they'll have that level of administration because it's kind of a nightmare to program a lot of that stuff. But I think that a high level kind of moderation, you know, just to say, look, this is like it just a, a very clear set kind of, you know, terms. And, and if people violate them, like, you know, violence is, is obviously one, you know, probably racism and uh, which is really hard to actually moderate. And then um you know but i don't i don't know like is there certain kind of brands that wouldn't be allowed there i don't think so and and so steam is if you look at steam i feel like one of the problems there is that it's like a bunch of garbage posted there like the content is not amazing and so i think that that's going to be another thing there'll probably be like a lot of low quality content and we also have to keep in mind that people have been using facebook uh for like you know in facebook algorithms that are really very intelligent. Like they know what to show you and when, and like the concept of that is gonna be so basic in voice probably. Like how do you build, like I don't believe that they have people over there that are writing very complex social algorithms to show you, you know, content that's relevant. And so it's gonna feel, my guess is it's gonna feel compared to like something like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, it's gonna feel, even though Twitter kind of sucks at, at this too, but it's gonna feel kind of downgraded from that. So I think for that reason, it's probably, they're gonna need moderation. And so hopefully they just implement some kind of moderation. But mm-hmm. aside from all of that, I'm, I'm, I am actually really excited to use it and, and learn. Well, I mean, yeah, it's the most exciting thing that's right on the horizon. And, and the reason we can talk about it for 20 minutes and have all these yeah. conversations is because it's a, it's one of the most fantastic social media experiments yep. possibly ever. What's yeah. so, so interesting about it is that, you know, when Facebook came out, it kind of grassroots, like kind of came up and crept up on people and learned about it as it went. And that's kind of like how a lot of these, so Instagram too, kind of worked its way into the popular culture. It's almost like voice is, is kind of going to launch at once, you know, like, like they're either going to kind of come in and, and storm the castle or, or it doesn't seem like it it's something that should take three to five years for adoption. It seems like it's, they're either going to come in, swoop up a bunch of influencers and start pulling people in this real heavy com- uh, competition immediately, or uh, it's, it, or they're going to lose momentum, you know? So yeah. I think it's a really risky venture. Like if you yeah, compare sure. it to other, to other ventures that are in the world, like, Facebook started off on a ramen budget and they discovered something that, you know, was very unique at that time. And now 20 years later, or whatever it is, you know, to expect to get that kind of market share is insane. And, and also the, the amount of money that's being dumped into this, I, I've heard it's like 120 million or something that's going to be dumped into this. Um, that's a very risky risky venture without having a, a like a product like sure they have but i mean there's there's plus sides like dan's experience and and what they've been able to achieve i mean it's going to guarantee a certain level of of success like i would say a million users isn't going to be a problem for it um 
but putting that much money into it and how the markets are relying on it. And like, there's all these other concerns, like how does it affect the EOS price and how people view block one as a company? It's almost like if you look at a billion dollars, which apparently they have, that's almost a quarter of their entire budget, which I'm sure they're spending on other things like probably a lot of lawyers and, you know, a, a lot of other engineering. And, and they're also maintaining EOS IO, which is pretty, pretty big engineering costs, I'm sure. And then to take a quarter of your money and uh, almost a quarter of your money and, and spend it on something like this, it's almost like this is a make or break moment for that business. There's not really a like you don't have very many chances after that doesn't work. And also building one of these networks, like look at Gab. I mean, how long have they been operating And they're, You know, they had a pretty good mission and a lot of support, but it takes time to build one of these things, man. Like it really does. It takes a lot of time and you have to seed it and stuff like that. So I think it's a pretty risky venture, but um, yeah. Well, it's it pretty exciting, pretty risky, pretty exciting. It's good. It's we're, we're kind of in a good spot where we, uh, we're right on the cutting edge and the outskirts, you know, we're not, we're not going to ones that necessarily are going to get our heads chopped off. So we get to, we get to experience it with, uh, you know, like watching fireworks here. It'll, I'm, I'm excited. I can't wait to see just, yeah. You know, yeah. 100%. I, yeah. So, um, well, let's, uh, let's, let's kind of transition out of voice here. I'm sure we'll probably come back to it at some point, but you mentioned D mail and how the incentives are, are similar. Um, so, Tell kind of the D-mail a quick how you came up with it um, and where you guys are at now, what it is. Yeah, so the way I came up with it was I was noticing that um, if you play a game or something, right, or if you go to an exchange and you, you buy an asset, um, you you often, or even buying an ICO, it's kind of a problem where you're purchasing some asset or creating some interaction with the blockchain with only an address. It might be like your Bitcoin address or your Ethereum address or an EOSA wallet address, which is like human readable, right? And uh, there's really no communication layer uh, between those wallets. There's, there's no communication layer. Like there's no products actually on the market aside from Dmail right, right now that I, think actually solved this problem. Um, one other one that's, you know, allows you to chat with somebody, which is like live chats, very different from email. Um, it, it, it allows you to chat from address to address, but the problem of like, I just bought an asset on an exchange or something and now I had an issue or maybe I got a fee or something unexpected happened. Like, how do you meaningfully communicate with that exchange if they don't have your email address? Like, you may have to email them and then have to confirm that you're the, even the person that created that transaction. It's a nightmare. And um, I see this wallet, I kind of saw how there's all these wallets being created on, you know, and on all these different chains. I think there's over a hundred million wallets uh, now in the world. Um, and, you know, that is very easily, you know, cause we're just like in the beginning of this shit that it can very easily be trillions of wallets. Um, and so, um, and it's kind of like an ID. And then I saw that people are logging in with their wallet and skipping email addresses. And there was just a lot of signs that pointed to just use their wallet address as the ID, just like an email address, and then allow people to do email-like communications directly on that wallet address. And so that's kind of where the idea of email came in. And so 
Um, and it's a people get confused about it right away because they think, well, why don't I just use Gmail? Well, it's like it's not actually competing with Gmail in any way. It's that these people aren't using email for a lot of these decentralized services and they'll never want to. If you're in China and you bought a bunch of EOS, trust me, the last thing you want to do is add your fucking email or your name or whatever to this asset. So, so what the government can monitor you? No, thanks. You know what I mean? So, um, and, and I think that that's really very true for Asia, but I think it's true for all places. And that's part of Liberty and owning assets is that I don't think it's anybody else's right to know what assets that I own. Like I have a fucking PlayStation right here and I don't think it's needs to be public information that I own a PlayStation or, I have gold or whatever I have. I, I believe that you have the right to anonymously own these kinds of things. And um, so Dmail allows you to communicate about the things that you own in a way um, without having to re reveal any other information. So we're very much against the whole concept. I mean, for this project, for KYC and adding extra information and the whole concept of identities, I think that that we're not interested in that. We want you to use your wallet just like you're using in any other place and communicate with the same tools that you're using to transact. So you can auth that you are that wallet owner and read your off-chain messages. And you can also um, use the mail token to sign these transactions, which are really just, I send a message to you, I sign it with a mail token and that reduces spam almost to zero. And spam right now in email is like 90 or more percent. Uh, so it's a huge problem. And so that when we were talking about economies earlier, it's like what you really want to do in this kind of economy is pre prevent a spammer uh, from gaining the tokens because then that allows them a right to send these messages in bulk. And so, but, but advertisers who want to send messages in bulk can acquire them by paying. There's a little bit of a barrier there. And so you're pretty much ensured that if you receive a message in an economy like this, that it's going to be meaningful to some degree, um, even if it's not relevant. It's and, how do you, random spam, so. and how do you gain tokens if you're just like a standard user, you just want to send, you know, just you get them for free. Yeah, oh. Like, like I, we, we had an airdrop and people participated in our beta got a thousand. We'll have a faucet. So if you arrive there and you don't have any, you can bring some out. Like really what we want to do is keep out the bad actors that are going to, you know, it's like that Quora and voice problem is that once a whale gets in there, they, you know, it's, it's why almost, I mean, I'm, I'm all for wealth and stuff, but like once somebody gains so much wealth in a, in a certain kind of economy, it's like they become a whale and there's certain rights that they now have that everybody else doesn't. So it's not just like purchasing power. It like goes beyond that, you know, like you could buy a whole fucking island and then like control the law there, you know what I mean? Or, or something, you know, it's like, so, so I think that there's probably, um, I mean, I'm a, capitalist and and I believe that anybody should be able to gain the kind of wealth that they want but the the system has to be tuned right to where you can keep people from you know ruining everybody else's fun it's like a, a libertarian concept where you know do what you want but don't hurt others you know what I mean and and once you gain so much power as a whale you can you can ruin other people's experience um, so we want to keep people out from doing that and the way that we do it is just we don't have our tokens are not on exchanges, so people can't acquire a lot of them at one time, which is great. Um, but also users can't acquire too many of them. There's no Sybil 
problems. And so if you arrive there without the tokens, you can get them through like a faucet or I'll just give them to people. And we have a big airdrop plan. So that's kind of what we're doing with it. Okay. Yeah, that, that's the that's the main thing with most blockchain and crypto projects is this distribution of tokens that, that hasn't quite been solved and the, the whale effect where there a new project represents an opportunity. You know, if you come in and you believe in a project and you, you can buy up a large portion of the tokens and then kind of almost have like control over the direction of the project. You can crush it. You can, you know, kind of foster it, but, but it gives a lot of power to these people who are kind of looking to come in and control all the tokens. Um, I know yeah. Luke, Luke Stokes at one point for a, uh, you know, I was talking to him when we were in DC, we were hanging out and we, he was telling this story about watching uh, the EOS DAC price when it came down. And since it's uh, decentralized, there's basically an opportunity for like 45 minutes. Or I, I don't, actually, I don't, I don't know how long. There was an opportunity for someone to come in with like 50 grand or some amount of money and buy up EOS DAC and have full control over it. And there was like, you know, there was, <laughs> you know, he was like kind of sitting there trying to figure out how to, to deal with things like that. But that's, that's like every project comes into that, um, that issue. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I even thought at one point in time that it would be really very interesting, like during the ICO kind of like boom and crash of like 2017, I was thinking this would be a very interesting time to uh, be some kind of acquiring party for a lot of these these tokens because there's a lot of technology and a lot of really great ideas and you can probably scoop them up for like really cheap mm -hmm. um, because the projects are so damned, you know what I mean? Like they've just taken such a massive hit. Their entire market caps are so small that you could come in and probably buy up a lot of these businesses for like a, a million bucks per pop or something, you know? And, it, and I think that you kind of have to think about this when you build these sort of projects. Like I've been really adamant about like our circulating supply on mail is very low. And there's a reason for that is if there's a big circulating supply, then that means somebody can buy up a lot of them and gain too much power. And that's a really damning thing for something like EOS DAC, which is all about being democratized and decentralized and stuff like that. And so to me, I, I would look at it as an architecture flaw that's on the engineers. Like you don't want, that can't be a possibility um, in certain systems. And that's why I think that ultimately Quora, what they learned was this is just bullshit. So really what they kind of did, and you can't really do this in crypto, is take all of the crypto incentives out of the software completely and burn all of the tokens like in a day like that can't happen in crypto but it happened in their system because it was like an abstracted layer of credits that you know they said look this is better for the community and we're willing to take this risk if you do that in crypto i mean you would be so damned like their the project would just fail in a day if you did that yeah yeah that would be, <laughs> i mean that's yeah everyone's in it trying to uh, be early into some sort of project so without that crypto incentive um, yeah, yeah. And yeah there's a there's another couple of things like Dmail has has finished the beta basically with about three thousand users, and a lot of people are aware of the project. And we also finished some automation stuff, and uh, we had some announcements about being the first grant receiver on the Telos uh, network that we're 
really happy about because we we want to grow Dmail across all chains. Like I would like to bring it to Bitcoin, and I think that Telos, you know, has a pretty pretty nice little community, and they're cool guys. And I'm actually looking forward. Like I think that they're going to grow. I think that they're going to be like a number two in the in the short term. And if they can really discover uh, what they can do the, to bring more value than mainnet. Like it could be like, I still believe that there could be a, a chain that just crushes EOS mainnet. I mean, it's not like it's all written down already. Who's going to, who's going to win there. So, and, and Dmail is a product that isn't like, even though we're on EOS first, because that's like what we love, there's, you know, we can bring it to Ethereum and every other chain too. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the the interesting thing about the whole right now how EOS is um, getting control like controlled by China, like a lot of the token holder interest is in China, and so they're kind of running the chain at this point. Um, the I mean, it's it's easy to to see this idea of maybe block producers start producing on Telos, kind of traffic starts, uh, Western traffic starts coming to Telos. And, and there can be kind of these more of a Western chain and more of an, uh, you know, more of an Eastern chain. Um, that's definitely one way that the, the, the thing could play out. So, um, yeah, Telos is a really interesting project. Uh, and I do, I do some, I cover a little bit of Telos too. Um, cool. Uh, yeah. I got a Telos podcast also. So, um, nice. Yeah. yeah it's, we it's, should, we should yeah. do one over there with some of the guys. Cause like I, I've been getting a little bit more involved in it, like just trying to help with, of the mission and direction and where the real value adds and identifying and you know the message like how people understand the message because like even if you go to some of their materials it's like not even clear what it is and so mm-hmm. i think that the chains kind of need to pick up some sort of mission that that is clear to people and and draws the users in and the dap devs in mm-hmm. like that's kind of like the first thing that it should always do yeah um, but i i'm not super concerned about like these Chinese, like the way that I see the the Chinese control, which it may be control. I don't really know how much control these BPs really have. I think that they kind of are beholden to the, the community more yeah. than, than anything. But I think that this is kind of capitalism at play, I feel like. And it's really the good side of capitalism because those Chinese would never want to do something that they, they want to protect their investment. Like they have investment in these tokens. They have every interest in seeing the, the value of the tokens go up and the value of the network go up. And so if it is in their best interest to not give a shit about what Westerners are doing and that will help the price to go up, then, you know, that that's capitalism right there for you. And maybe they're right and maybe they're wrong, but I don't think they are. I think Chinese are super smart. And I think that they see all these Fortune 500 companies and all these people over here. I think that they don't want to just hoard the network and and be unwelcoming. And I think that if it really becomes a problem, that they'll find a clever solution. And I also think that the voting, and I know you wanted to talk about voting, I think the voting can be iterated on in a way that will um, kind of disincentivize certain behaviors that block producers have that will make the network a little bit more open because like the block producers we really want are ones that are active and building a lot of really cool tools and that, you know, they're public and they're, they're transparent and they're bringing value to uh, the, the network. And so if we can align voting with that somehow with like, I'm going to feel motivated to vote for these people like, like 
some of my favorite blog producers like Cypherglass and EOS New York and EOS Canada. And, you know, there's a lot of other ones that I'm not mentioning that are doing these amazing things. Um, the reason why I like them is because I see their tools. Like I'm using Diffuse today. That's amazing. It's a fucking cool tool. So yeah, of course they won the right to my vote. This tool is being used by a lot of the big dApps and it's very useful and cuts a lot of time and they're promoting the ecosystem. They deserve my vote, you know, and that's the way I think it should be. Like a lot of these Chinese VPs, like I don't know what they're doing and maybe I'm just not looking into it, but if they're not doing much, I think that they're going to need to get the boot pretty soon or, or somehow get it disincentivized. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I was at the uh, EOS World Expo, or I'm not sure what it was. One of these San Francisco, the that wasn't EOS World Expo, but there was an event in San Francisco. Oh, the uh, Tulip Conference, and um, the a big contingent of the Chinese from uh, uh, from the block producers and some of the exchanges came out, and they gave they gave like a talk and addressed everyone, and basically said what you're saying is, hey, like we want EOS to do well. The reason we own so much of the chain right now is because we really believe in it and we're building tons of uh, projects and we're, we're working, you know, really hard on this and, and, you know, and they basically showed everything their community's up to and it was pretty striking. I mean, we don't, because, because of the language barrier and because, um, you know, there's not that much medium between the two uh, sides of the world, we don't, we're not privy to how much is actually going on. Um, and I think if we were, we people would be a little bit more comfortable with with the fact. It's like people think that uh, Chinese whales have bought the chain and are controlling it nefariously. And it's more like Chinese entrepreneurs and tech people are loving it as much as us and building really hard. And and they just have you know more people into EOS over yeah. there. So yeah, I'm sure that there's some truth to that. So it's it's in my background. Like I I used to live in Beijing and I studied uh, Chinese language for like a third of my life now like I speak Chinese and I lived there and the reason why I did it was this is like even before I was really into crypto was crypto actually came out while I was in China I think and uh, that's part of the reason why I missed like it right in the beginning um, but part like I, I was studying localization because what I really wanted to do was help Chinese and American businesses because I saw how many opportunities there were. I was really really interested in the fact that Chinese can really just copy a business from America and release it and mm -hmm. have all of these things kind of written out for them to do like, you know, products or social sites, like, you know, for every, every American social site, there's like a Chinese counterpart and they're often just like ripped directly, which, you know, is fine. There's nothing really wrong with it, but I thought that was super interesting. And, and I also think that, some of these products can be brought over from from China. And so I thought, you know, in the future, it'll be really good to be bilingual so that you can focus on these kind of deals. And it's interesting because like, I thought it would just be tech in general, but like now I'm seeing there's actually a need for that in crypto. But like even being a Chinese speaker and understanding that it's like, it's kind of hard to follow. Like I've even tried to look into it and and it's like, there's a lot of cross promotions and a lot of fluff. You know what I mean? Like some of these projects aren't really where they, where they should be. And so I think that there's like a bias where Americans are like, well, there's, there's jack shit going on over there, but that's not true. There's a lot of stuff going on that we're not aware of, but at the same time, like I feel like there's a lot more fluff too. Um, like some of these projects like make a lot of promises, but don't really deliver on them as well. 
And I think there probably is some truth to like Wales, like they have a lot of cash to spend over there that isn't really available here. And so I think that there probably is some truth and it would be great to see an audit of some kind to see like how much of the, how much of it is true that they have just bought in and there are whales and like whether they're nefarious or not, I don't, I don't know. Like, and I don't care honestly, but I, I think there's probably a lot of truth to, there's a lot of hodlers of, of, uh, of EOS and China and there's a lot of like top heavy stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the, this, what Nudex did basically uh, returning the money for votes back to the people who staked to the Nudex proxy um, or, and then the proxy votes itself and as a top block producer, um, you know, that was kind of the writing was on the wall for that. Just even from the beginning, people were saying that, you know what people, there's going to be a race to the bottom as far as selling votes for block producer positions. Um, what do you think? What, what do you, what's your thought on that? What do you think of um, selling votes basically? Well, there's, so it's being, being an American, it's really easy to look at our kind of voting rule set and, and understand how, why there's laws against it, you know, um, like generally the crypto libertarians are very big on, like, we don't need all these rules and, and small government, but there are some rules that I think are valued and, you know, like, I think you can't offer like hot dogs at, at the voting stations. You can't offer like stuff like that because it's basically vote buying. And so, I mean, there's a reason for that is that basically somebody with money and maybe not even a lot can, you know, manipulate the law and manipulate some meaningful thing in a system because they're able to purchase the votes. And, I think that what needs to happen is you have to think about, well, what is the purpose of a vote? A vote is that what your mission is and what you're doing is in line with my values and you've motivated me through your mission and your values to motivate me to vote. And that's a vote earned. And, and everybody has an opportunity, whether they have capital resources or not, to inspire somebody with a mission to vote for them. And yeah, there are some capital resources, like you have to buy this hardware and shit, but like ideally the barrier to entry to gain somebody's vote is low enough that it's accessible to a lot of people. And, and then if you do have more capital resources than your competitor, like how, what would car racing be like? Um, well, I mean, I guess maybe car racing isn't a good example because it does have to do with capital resources, but like nobody wants to feel like they're watching a basketball game or some competitive thing where it's simply capital resources is the reason why you won like vote buying, you know, like, and that's what we saw in the U S elections is that Trump's spending was way lower than anybody else's. Uh, like it was like multiple factors lower and he still won. And a lot of people are really unhappy with Trump, but, the one thing that you can know from that is that you can't really buy the vote in America still, you know, you can't buy it because either those people are total fucking idiots with the way that they spent their money, which I think is partially true. Actually, I think that if they would have spent the money in the right place, they might've won. But the idea in these systems in order for them to have integrity and the trust that we need in the decentralized system is that people need to earn the votes with on principle and not with capital. Right. And so 
Um, I think that that's not true in EOS, frankly. I think that the votes are, frankly, bought in, and they are a, a result of capital in a system and, and some kind of influence because you see a lot of these exchanges, right? And they're sitting on so much of this essentially capital. So why it, is it, are they there because of principle or are they there because of capital? I think that's the question we have to ask. And I think for the most part, a lot of the top VPs are there because of capital and not principle. And, but, but there are some that I think are exceptions and I like, I'm way too biased. So I won't even mention who I think it is, but I think that what we need is a, a voting system that allows people to align on, on missions and principles rather than, than, than capital and, and other kind of things, because that's what we want. We want to motivate, like, also, I think that the small guy doesn't have a lot of payoff, like in a U.S. voting system, you know, one, one person is one vote. And, and I think that, you know, there's a certain level of integrity that's there. Like my neighbor down the street in Bel Air, who's, he has a hundred million dollars, his vote is one vote and my vote is one vote. Right. Mm -hmm. And yeah, he can use his capital resources to turn his votes into more votes, but in theory, it shouldn't be that much. You shouldn't have that much control. And so I, I'm, I'm looking to find, because I haven't seen, like, I think that also these proposals are really confusing. And, and like, frankly, just like I'm trying to develop apps, so I'm not like following the voting as closely as I should. Um, but it needs to be easy to understand. And even, you know, political voting systems have this problem. Like Facebook was trying to help solve this. They're like, here's your candidate landscape and here's their basic principles. And they try to be unbiased about it. And it seemed pretty effective, actually. Um, but you know, but then somebody else can go in like this whole Cambridge Analytica scandal can come in. I'm not trying to get too political. It's just kind of showing like how like all these systems can be undermined if you know the game and you know how to play it. And so I think that crypto and crypto voting systems actually have a unique opportunity to set the stage for how the future of voting is going to be. You know, we can verify identities. We, we have contracts that can control this stuff whereas now we have these bullshit paper voting systems that people are scared to switch off of because they've kind of been grandfathered in in a lot of ways um, but that's what i'm hoping that we can do in, in eos eos should be setting the stage for how voting in general should be done and that's the standard that i think that we should have and we're really far from that i think mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah really you know i've really been going back and forth on this vote this vote buying thing uh and it's it, at a lot of points to me, it's been like, okay, there, this isn't, this isn't in the constitution. There's no rules against it. It's going to happen. So let's embrace it. You know, that's kind of like this, this thought that keeps coming up, but then there's this thought that's a little bit more, a little bit more um, utopian, let's say, or, you know, let's just say we're trying to press, we're, we, we're operating in a space with brand new technology and we have a very unique opportunity to, uh, do something new that isn't just about the EOSIO or the EOS chain. It's about doing something new for the entire global governance, like the way that U.S. elections happen, elections everywhere. Like we're kind of attacking a, a problem or approaching a problem here that is inherent in human nature. And so when we do just kind of, or when I just kind of throw my hands up and say, you know what, it's not in the rules, like let's let it free market, see what happens and, and fuck it. Uh, that's a little bit intellectually lazy of me uh, to just kind of take that route, which I, which I 
kind of fall back on a lot when I actually like that. And I don't, I don't find that to be intellectually lazy. I think that people that can't see uh, the benefits of free market capitalism, like they fail to see it can be intellectually lazy more often than not, uh, honestly, because they, they, they can't see how, like, if you have a, an equal playing field, like, there are a lot of arguments, and I, that's why I'm, like, just hanging back and just seeing what happens, because, like, maybe that BP that's willing to buy votes, they give a fuck enough about to even buy EOS, they give a fuck enough to even get in early and to even go and buy votes, that might be the only thing that's keeping this ecosystem together. This <laughs> is a complex problem. Like. Yeah. If these guys are out there buying votes, it's like they're kind of free advertising to the, the network. Like if you're paying somebody to vote for you, like it's like there are benefits there that, you know, are illegal in another system. And like you said, like we have an opportunity to do something new, like maybe you can buy votes, but you have to do it in a certain way rather than it's illegal to buy votes. Because what people end up doing in, in, in the political system is like, you know, they have to use that money in a different way and they just find a backdoor or some other loophole to spend the money like that Cambridge Analytica thing like what they've basically figured out is that now they're going to instead of buying a vote they're going to go buy data and weaponize the data right in a way that flies so far under the radar that you can't tell that it's actually vote buying too because what they did is they kind of what what they're doing is just going in and incepting these people, because they, I, I think it's something ridiculous, like 5,000 data points that they claim to have on each American voter, right? Oh, like, wow. if you know that, like, you almost know with a certain degree of probability that's very high what you can do to manipulate their vote. So you don't even have to buy their vote. You just fucking incept them with an advertisement or something, and they're voting for you anyways, and it might even be cheaper, right? So um, I think that keeping an open mind and, and just seeing how it is, like, like we might be able to come up with something really new and maybe it is free market capitalism should be like, yeah, go ahead and buy the votes. Because if you're, if you're processing transactions, like think like I try to think about it in, in a many different ways. Like these big exchanges have a ton of capital resources, which allow them to buy a lot of hardware. You know, it allows them to buy votes and do free advertising. Like let's look on the bright side. Like what, what is vote? What are the good sides of vote buying? Well, somebody who can afford to buy votes is well enough capitalized to build software on the network and do all these other things, you know, so it might be that they're actually who's there belongs there. And that was like a big revelation for me in capitalism in general, because when I was younger, I used to think like capitalism was evil. And when I was working with a bunch of old guys in security, like they were like really into capitalism and they're like, this, they had this one insight that was kind of profound for me, but maybe it's just child's play for other people. But the guy was like, you know why capitalism is the best? It's like, it's cause that, that's what we have. And I was like, okay, like it kind of sounds stupid at first, but like, it's kind of the best because that's what we have. It's like, that's what fucking happened. That's what people were willing to actually substantially do. And that's reality. So, you know, there, there are a lot of fucked up realities for sure. You could make that same argument about, about communism, but you know, those are the BPs that are willing to do what they're, you know, willing to support the network. So maybe they do belong there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing about capitalism that I fall back on, too, is that uh, this idea that 
there is some sort of human system. There's something that we have been doing since kind of the beginning of time. Like we're able to trade, barter, interact in societies. And, and like you said, capitalism is here, but that didn't just, we didn't just make it up and like, oh, here's an idea and throw it together. It's like something in our human nature, like came down these roads of, of, of governance over a hundred thousand years. Like, so, um, so, so yeah, it is a, it is a pretty resilient system. And when I think of uh, complex systems or, or something like vote buying and things like that, I tend to fall back on, um, you know, less is more like the simpler, the better, like try to get these base incentives correct. And then like stop trying to control it because 100% dude, that's, that's like a key point right there. Is it whatever we, we need to do? It needs to be simple and easy to understand and easy to implement because like anything that requires control, like one of the biggest things that people criticize EOS is that whole ECAF thing. And what it was, was really a bureaucracy. It wasn't programmatic. It wasn't decentralized. It, it was, it was, it was really just bureaucracy. It was like the bullshit layer of a government that you're just wondering, why do we need that? Like if you just delete it, what, what's the, you know, what kind of repercussions are there from just deleting this shit, you know? And, and so I think that as long as it's not a bureaucratic uh, kind of solution and something that is simple and, and really kind of flexible and allows like a marketplace to kind of happen, you know, I, and, and easy to understand, it needs to be easy to understand because a voter, most of these voters, and I think people that need to be incentivized to vote, like just end users, like, my guess is not a lot of end users of EOS are even voting. And that's probably what, like in a, in a scalable way, like if we have 50 million users on EOS, for example, what, what voter is important? Well, it's like the general mass of those users are important. And right now I don't believe that anybody who's a regular end user that has one EOS, for example, like probably most of the wallet holders, like if you audit the chain are like less than a hundred dollars in EOS, right? And so if that's true, what is going to incentivize those, those people to make their votes and what makes their votes powerful? Is it our current system? Is it scalable? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, in that, in, in, in those people who care very little, the easiest thing for them to do is go to the new Dex proxy, the one that's going to give them a return over time, throw it in there and forget about it, you know? So. Yeah. 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 Um, well that, I mean, we will, keep seeing how this plays out. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, everything about this is so, so interesting because it's like this giant thought experiment kind of playing out in real time right in front of us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so speaking of thought experiments and interesting shit, what about, what about Morty's? How'd you come up with that? That's such a funny idea and it's been kind of so viral within the EOS community. Yeah, actually today I was looking at, at the, the block explorer on that contract and it was uh it's reached 30,000 transactions now which is kind of like <laughs> nice funny to think about That's but the way that like it's kind of a lot of things like i wanted to create like a little factory like program a little factory for building tokens um because i i still think that you know pretty much every like i still believe in the dap concept that kind of ethereum brought up which is it's a software that's has some level of decentralization and has its own token. And I, I still believe in that. I just think that just because there's thousands of failures, it just means that it's going to eventually succeed. 
I'm a big Rick and Morty fan. Um, I think that it's really a, a great show and it kind of expands your mind on possibilities and like I'm really into sci-fi and I like to think about, you know, like action figures and merchandising and how those markets are, have played out. Like, um, and so I wanted to build this framework for building tokens. And so I built that and then I wanted to build a meme token because I've always really thought Doge and meme tokens are, are super interesting. Like the rabbit hole goes very deep on meme tokens. Like they're a form of artistic, uh, expression they give you a feeling of belonging to a tribe which everybody i feel like really craves and uh they kind of build their own very unique economies with with very unique actions that you do in these economies and so we built the the morty token well i i built it on the weekend like a kind of hackathon project i do these projects over the weekend and then i was thinking well what would you use it and i wanted people to feel like they're part of the world and so at first i thought well, it'd be like Krumbopolis Michael, who's a, a character in, in the show who accepts this kind of this currency called Flurbos to like assassinate people in those worlds. And you, people kind of hop between worlds and it's sort of like virtual reality or, or digital reality in a way. Um, and so being that it's sort of hard to use this kind of currency to do in-game assassinations, which was the initial point was like, you could call hits on people and earn this currency like in a game. So it might be like some virtual reality game or just like a, a battle royale game or something. And if you actually can prove that you killed them, then you accept the hit money, right? But then what I realized is that there is like an even easier way to use it to like bribe people to do stupid stuff. And so that's like pretty much what people are doing now. <laughs> um, and it's just been a lot of fun. And I've connected with people who I wasn't really tightly connected to before and there's you know there's a few thousand people I would say that are at least aware of it and there's about a thousand people who have transacted in the token now and over 30,000 transactions total and people have built a lot of software for it like faucets and there's a DAC for it that, that hasn't gone live yet but there's one on the testnet there's different tools that people have built and it's just kind of fun it's it's really fun and and the idea of a meme token is is like you're saying that runs so deep and there's like this kind of science slash pseudoscience about memetics which is like the cultural transfer of information and this idea that memes have always been around in society and they're kind of these ideas that pass like through generations that we still talk about and uh so now memes have become like these little pictures on the internet or uh tokens like doge like dogecoin and uh morty tokens but but uh, it's another thing that is uh, a meme is kind of the fabric of, of being a, a human in to, in some ways and so it's it's it is the rabbit hole does go kind of deep on on memes meme tokens and all that and uh Morty yeah. is super fun, man. That, that's a super fun one, especially because the whole, the whole, I mean, the cartoon that goes with it is, is too good, you know? Yeah, like, and so there's this concept that I, I'm pretty sure that I created. It's, we're calling it a, a CRPG, a crypto a role-playing game. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is that people do these certain actions and behaviors. It could be like Monopoly is a role-playing game and, and there's these different games, right? Um, but like a crypto incentivized role playing game where like I can pretend to be somebody and that the underlying incentive that I have for doing so and for doing it well and being active 
is, is a cryptocurrency. So it kind of comes down to economies and game dynamics as well. And yeah, memes are old. Like I even, when I was in, I used to do a lot more art, like serigraphy and kind of graffiti art, like a very long time ago. And for me, this is really not very much different from art, you know, like crypto is very much an art for me, like building apps doesn't feel much different from my background in art and writing um, or another form of expression like skateboarding was like a really big deal for me when I was younger. And like it goes really deep. It goes far back. Like um, if you look in the old graffiti, like they have found old, I think like ancient, they found ancient graffiti that are like very similar to memes. Like one of the earliest piece of like graffiti that you can find is in, I think it's uh, in, in Greece. And uh, they're, they're really funny. Like there's a, a really old piece. I think it's a few thousand years old or something of, of a beaver bending over a politician and fucking him. <laughs> like, and it's, and it's really old. I mean, it's not very much different from a meme that you would find today. And so it is a very deep and fun way to transfer information. Like what does that expression means? It means that politicians are, are full of shit and it kind of, feels fun you know what i mean and so but it also ties deeply into um like action figures and physical goods and and virtual goods and so what i think that can happen and will happen with i think there's going to be a huge market um and this isn't news to a lot of people but you know like what is the action figure equivalent in for these cartoons like they're still selling action figures, but to me, that's like the CD or like the vinyl record industry. It's like, or VHS tape of, of these cartoons and shows and experiences. And so what I think is going to happen is that a lot of that merchandising market is going to be parlayed into something new, like an NFT market and, and rights and roles. Like, I think that I might own an action figure and just think about what you do with an action figure. Like I have a Ninja Turtles action figure, right? And like I have Donatello, like that means that I'm role-playing Donatello. Like I'm fucking Donatello now and I'm using Donatello and it gives me certain rights. Like I can use a bow and I can, you know, say certain things that Donatello can say, right? And so what I think is going to happen is that you're going to have this rich market of NFTs that connote these certain rights and people want to buy them because... And, and then where can you express these rights? Well, you can do it through digital gaming. So that, that's why I think crypto role-playing games are actually going to be probably the biggest moneymaker in, in the future of like, I buy this NFT, I have a right, and I can express that right. And there's a whole market for me to buy and sell. Yeah, and, uh, and CryptoKitties really uh, made that apparent that people are down for that transition. You know, we just need the UX to come along, but people love the idea of owning digital goods. Um, I've got an action figure right here, by the way. I've got uh, Master Chief sitting on the shelf. So uh, yeah, what's who's that? I don't know. That's Master Chief. He's he's from Halo. So oh, yeah, nice, nice. First from my my first uh, first person shooter that I went deep into Halo, Halo Two, Halo Three. So nice. Yeah, he watches to make sure everything's going good. But uh, but yeah. The, uh, the digital NFTs is, is a great point, uh, or the digital um, characters is a great point, digital action figures. What about Blancos? Have you, I haven't followed up with them in the last two months or so. Um, do you know anything about that project? I, I, I do. I know a little bit about it. I know that Rob, one of the guys on our team, uh, just Rob, Rob Finch, he, mm -hmm. 
played it. Um, I don't know all all the details. I haven't played it, but I think it's supposed to come out this year. Yeah. Um, and I and I'm pretty sure that they're using D goods. Mm-hmm. And and so I'm I'm interested to see where that goes because like I'm also building a game right now that's like a, a cyberpunk game that is on EOS and. I want to actually use the NFTs in the way that I believe they're going to be used. I don't, I don't think anybody's actually done it before, but what I believe is that an NFT gives you a certain right. Probably CryptoKitties is the closest thing, but what does that NFT really give you? Like, I think that people saw it as like a collectible when really the core function of action figures was really to play with them and to have rights and to role play with them. And then they became these, you know, desirable collector's items. But the, the point of a comic is to read it, you know, and, and, you know, like it might become a collector's market, but I think most of the things that drive these things is the desirability of the rights that you have when you, when you have them. And so for CryptoKitties, that was like siring, right? You yeah. could, you could, yeah. it gave you the right to sire, which was creating more, but like I see a more rich ecosystem where I buy characters and they, they have rights with powers and D goods and magic and swords and, you know, different powers that are a fully rich market. And, and I think that that hasn't really been realized with NFTs yet, but I think that D goods or something similar to it, like, I'm very curious, like the other day I was having this discussion about D goods and like the problem with NFTs is that you don't want to build NFTs in a market that's just going to die. Like I have a bunch of Dodgers, uh, baseball NFTs, Mm. right? Like I have a ton of them, but like, where are they now? Well, they're built on Ethereum. Nobody's really trading them. There's not a lot of gameplay involved with them. So they're probably not very valuable. But at one point in time, people were selling them for like thousands of dollars on eBay or something, right? And so it's really important also that you build your NFTs into something that could grow like a D-Goods, like that has compatible wallets and you know, allows you to move them easily on exchanges and stuff like that. So there's like a big thing uh, behind you know, it's, it's really like action figures are a really good way to understand this because in order for the Ninja Turtles to be a valuable uh, action figure, well, you actually had to have an entire cartoon first that allowed a narrative to be inside of somebody's mind that made that good even desirable. Like a fucking Ninja Turtle by itself has no value. People will be like, what the hell is this? I don't even know what it is. And I think the NFTs are the same thing. You have to have a game that builds up a narrative that makes the NFT even, even valuable. And so there's a lot of dynamics like those Ninja Turtles, they had to have a distribution networks and a certain level of, of interest before they could even move the NFTs. And so I think that a very similar market is emerging here where you have to have meaningful gameplay. Like you have that action figure on your uh, wall right there because there was all of these probably maybe years of gameplay, if not you, but some other person that made that narrative even mean something for it to sit on that wall right there. You know, mm-hmm. it's so deep, like these NFTs and memes that like they're, they're so deep in psychology that you can kind of get lost in it for, for forever. So what do you think you're talking about? Like kind of the application of, of these NFTs. Are you thinking like actual role-playing games, like magic, the gathering type of role-playing games? Or are you thinking of like uh, fully immersive, like, uh, you know, VR character type of NFT role-playing or what do you mean? I think that all of it actually is role-playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that we're going to see a lot of it. Like 
if it was a VR experience, my character and all of his associated goods are just really, they connote some sort of right. Like I have a gun and I have bullets, I can shoot somebody, right? Mm -hmm. And and those are all NFTs and like, I either have a body in that world or not. And that body and the suit and everything should in theory be an NFT. And that connotes a right. Like if I don't have a character, I don't exist in that world. And I think that probably all of these other things are rights too. Like in Grand Theft Auto, it's like a car and a house. Those are just digital goods that give me a right. They give me a right to sleep. They give me a right. Like it's kind of just a good is associated with a right of some kind. And those are all role playing. Like whether it's Monopoly, a physical thing or, or Magic the Gathering, which I've never played, by the way. I'm, I'm about to get into it, though, I, I hope. Because um, I heard that you can make like money even now. Uh, there's like a fully emerging market where you can host these kind of games, and that's very interesting, right? Hmm. Like especially if you go to that robot narrative, like bots are stealing everybody's job, which I think is bullshit. It's like you could never predict that you could be a host of a you know a Dungeons and Dragons game and make money from that, right? Like in uh, like at your physical house, you mean? Yeah, yeah. I think that it's physical. Like, I don't know, maybe even online or something, right? Like I don't know a lot about it, but I know it's emerging. It's a, like a thing, right? So for me, it's all role playing. Like like in Monopoly, I'm role playing that I'm some dude that owns some shit in the game, right? And when I'm in Halo, like I'm role playing. Like I'm putting myself in this mode. And all of it to me is role playing. It's just different varying degrees and different media. Like it might be VR, like the game I'm building is AR, right? Okay. I mean, it's a 2D AR and it's role playing. So it's not a big, big difference for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, man, that is, that is cool stuff. That's, that's one of the most, one of my favorite things to talk about and think about is NFTs, the future of kind of gaming, uh, virtual reality and augmented reality kind of all coming together, blockchain all kind of coming together in this big just shift. It's going to be like to what it means to be a human, like going about your daily life. It's going to be a a big change, but it's gonna. It's, to me, yeah. it seems it's really. I'm excited. It seems like really fun. Speaking yeah. of that, the uh, the neural link thing is tonight. I don't know mm -hmm. if you follow that at all, but the neural. I signed up for it, but they didn't get back to me. I think I. I. I mean, are you are you attending in person? I, I signed up for it too. They didn't get back to me, man. I was like, oh, cool. You know, I'm, I threw the podcast in there. It's like I'm I'm into tech. Just let me come. Nope, no invite. So they must. They, I'd imagine they probably have like a Neuralink community in the same way that we have like an EOS community. Um, and so I was just uh, apparently too much of an outsider. Thanks, uh, Elon Musk, if you're listening to this. I know you are, uh, you know. You know, your team yeah. people fuck themselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm very interested to see what they're doing. They probably just had some very simple criteria. Like if you don't have 20,000 followers, then get yeah. the fuck out basically or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it seems like, uh, yeah, they think they want it to be kind of a social event or yeah, they want kind of people to, to spread the word there. Um, yeah. yeah, but it'll be cool. I mean, they're live streaming it, so I'm not worried. It saved me driving to San Francisco. Actually, I was like, kind of debating i was kind of secretly hoping i didn't get an invite just so i wouldn't have to drive to san francisco so i'm chilling i'll watch it from my uh my live stream here in a little while so no big deal um uh i have a million morty bribe i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot out so anyone that has listened this far i'm gonna publicize this also but uh 
I, I think it'll be what, what I should do is probably have like the best uh, shill of this podcast, like a retweet shill this podcast, the best shill. I will back that up. I think that we should share it in the Morty's group and we can like bankroll like with Morty's like every share is a million to 10 million or something like that so that we can get oh, wow. some more shares and we can feel the power of the bride and how it really works. I think that what it, it's, it's sort of, become this permission to shill your stuff mm -hmm. you know what i mean like bribing people to do stuff that is actually really a hard ask if you add a little of like the comedic flavor to it, it it makes it easy because you know it can be awkward like you probably know this as a content creator like where do i post my stuff or not and is somebody gonna tell me like hey bro why are you shilling your podcast all over yeah. here like i think yeah. that it's kind of it has this thing that I think is helping it to grow that people feel like, you know what, if I have some Morty's and I offer some, then like, I don't need to feel bad about shilling my stuff everywhere. So I'll back that. I'll right. back that. You can shill it to the Morty's community and I'll back whatever, whatever amount you decide, like a million per share for proof of, of the bribe, then I'll, I'll back that up. Killer. Okay. Yeah, we'll go for it. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's this, it's in human nature, like we were talking about democracy and bartering and all that, like to be able to give something and receive something like people don't necessarily, they're not big when it comes to gifting. Like, you know, if I gave you a sandwich, you might, you, you know, you might, because I gave you a sandwich that one time drive me to LA one time, like they're disproportionate gifts, but like a gift is kind of a gift for people a lot of the time. And uh, I think that's kind of how Morty's, I mean, Morty's isn't really disproportional gifts, so, but, but that's kind of how gifting works is that like, as humans, we like to give and receive like favors and, uh, and it, it definitely plays on the, that psychological. 100% dude. Like, I think that really what capitalism and just like our story of capitalism, like from seashells to now like microtransactions, what they really come down to is like human energy being transferred from person to person like even probably a monkey will have some kind of ledger in their mind that keeps track of value and what was provided and what isn't and all these systems are really doing i think is just kind of quantifying it in a more like real way like and it's making it easier for us and also like allowing credit where credit is due, like what these cryptos do, like, and I think that what microtransactions does is it just makes a ledger for all this stuff. So it's like transparency. So you can really see how energy is being transferred, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and like, really, like, if you look at Morty's, like, what does that mean for Morty's? Like people are bribing other people. It's like, what are you writing to the ledger? Well, you're really just kind of keeping a record that so-and-so did such and such for another person. Right. And so it's just like it's almost just tracking something that's already been happening. Like, you know, people were giving sandwiches long before ledgers existed and then they would keep a debt in their mind. And that's the whole idea of stocks. And I think that all of these system of stocks and crypto and seashells, they're really just ways that make it easier for us to kind of track and keep people accountable for those things that we were already tracking in our mind, you know. And so it's kind of like it, it's cool to think about, you know, like even a microtransaction, like um, I was thinking about like how like AIs could track these systems, like bee farmers could track how many fucking flowers a, 
a bee pollinated and those can be microtransactions you know i think that or iot devices they're always performing these tasks and and then providing value and people develop those things and so crypto makes you know these microtransactions and these ledgers better able to really track like what value is being transferred whereas the us dollar could have never been used for that really it would have had to be a SaaS model that's like, well, you paid for this device monthly, but like, how can I gain like micro values from these things? Like this crypto makes that possible, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, it, crypto, that's like the, the people put so much value kind of into the world without any sort of reciprocation. And it's, that's not a bad thing, but I think what's enabled us to have all this technology and all these economies is this idea that, um, you know, I'm going to do something now because, because there's money and there's these ways of keeping track. I think that I'll get something back in the future. So I can do kind of these more altruistic things because I think someday like it will come back to benefit me because we have these ledgers in place. Uh, as as crypto like makes the ledger more specific and like you're saying microtransactions, there's all these kind of good things that people end up adding to the world that's never really kept track of, and it kind of lets us keep track of more of that. Maybe uh, you know in a generally more fair way, and maybe it makes people add more value than they than they would if they you know if we're if smaller. Yeah, one hundred one hundred percent. Like there's this guy Jaron Lanier. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he's like he he studies a lot. He he's a really next level thinker. Uh, he, he writes a lot of books, but you might want to look him up sometime. But he had this concept that was like pre crypto called like a songle, right? So he called it a songle, where like you you can purchase or like basically bankroll a song. Like let's say Radiohead. Like I could own a piece of that song by like contributing to like either the creation or the purchase of that thing. And then every time it gets played, that's a microtransaction that gains some value and is distributed out through these owners. Like a, a crazy next level concept for how to monetize music that was created, you know, 15 years ago or however long ago it was, is now possible because of these, micro transaction network that we built and that's a really crazy thing because I, i've seen how this happens in in really interesting ways like i came across something called quaternion math and i suck at math by the way so i don't want to make myself sound like i'm really good at math but <laughs> if you look up quaternion math it's it's really interesting because what it does is it allows you to like map things to, to like spheres and shit so like for 3d programming and and for like geo programming it's it's really very useful but if you go back to the history of this quaternion math, it was created by this mathematician in a time where it wasn't useful and really in any way, but it was interesting for the guy, right? And so, but now fast forward like 100 years later, however long, like now it's used so much. It's like one of the most useful things you can do in like 3D programming on globes and shit and mapping things to like, you know, these spheres, right? And it's like used a lot. And so a concept that this guy was thinking of like a Philip K. Dick or a sci-fi concept that was created or even, you know, cryptocurrencies, this Phoenix token from the seventies or whatever, right? Like these people are thinking up the shit, but it takes a while for like the actual tools to be there to, to build them. And so to me, what, what I really think is going to happen is that crypto is going to make all of that stuff possible that people have been dreaming about for the last hundred years and like, 
how microtransactions can really help. Um, I have, I have a stop. I have to actually stop here pretty soon. I know we've kind of gone over, but I have another call I have to jump into. But, I, dude, it's been really, really fun talking. I like to just bullshit about this stuff, so I appreciate yeah. you. Well, for sure, this is the EOS podcast, and come back on it, dude. That was, yeah. that was really fun. I think people will be pumped on this. We'll get the Morty's bribe out. Uh, do you have places people can find you or any uh, shilling you want to do here as we close it down? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, if you want to try out Dmail, like, hop into our Telegram um, you can just search email and in telegram and also I'm on Twitter at Curtybot, um, K-U-R-T-Y-B-O-T. Feel free to follow me and just hit me up. Rad. Well, my EOS podcast friends, lovely freaking day. Kurt, it was rad to talk to you. That was super fun, man. We'll do it again. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. until next time. Cheers. All right, brother. The money is not the prime asset in life. Time is...